the blueprint. How did Michael Trin get to where he is today and how can other people do the exact same thing? Yeah. So like in, it seems like I'm really focused right now, like the, you know, the bioengineering space, but I'm very much, you know, still exploring myself. Um, in high school, grade, like grade nine to grade 12. So like I grew up in the West End of Toronto, kind of in an area called Bluedale. Um, it's kind of identified now, but when I was like younger, it was kind of, I don't say ghetto, but it was like kind of rough. Um, and um, like there were, there were like, there wasn't, there wasn't a ton of resources available. So kind of throughout high school, I was kind of trying to find myself. I was a nerd growing up in a, like all the people around, like a lot of the people around me weren't, um, let's just say about my life. They were more about like selling weed and stuff like that. So I kind of took it upon myself like, okay, I got to find people who like actually have ambition and like we're trying to do something. Um, even if you're selling weed now, like at least you have a goal in the future that you want to do, achieve for. Um, so that's what I, those, I was looking for people who kind of had a vision or at least had a goal or just at least doing something. Um, and that was kind of like a journey for like two years going to different youth conferences, joining youth organizations, and at the same time, kind of getting exposed to like really different fields. So like I wasn't always just like the bio guy. Uh, in grade 11, people knew me as like a business guy because I was really interested in finance. I was really interested in uh, startups, entrepreneurship, um, product design, marketing, etc. Um, in grade 10, I was really interested in like model UN stuff like that. I couldn't afford to go to the expensive conferences, but the free conferences, I always got to get exposed to like politics and global relations and that, and like even some basic writing. So that kind of exploration was really, really valuable. And I think that was probably, that's probably one of the biggest, like the best decisions I've made in my life was to like do that unapologetic exploration. Um, and just kind of see what I buy. In the end, I've landed in bioengineering and I don't regret anything. Uh, I love it. But for those of, for those of us listening to the podcast who maybe don't know what they want, um, the the only real answer is unapologetic exploration. You need to explore and don't be sorry for it, right? Like people love to in university, especially if you go to U of T, people love the specialists. They love to hype the specialist, the person who's really focused on one thing. At this age, man, like you're only gonna go so deep. You you can only go so deep. If you really want to go deep and legit, be a PhD. But um, in terms of your time, I think you want to explore to find something that really vibes with you and then dive into it. Um, that was high school for me. That is still university for me. Um, I just, except now I just, I'm, I'm a little more focused. So in grade 11, I worked at a hospital, which kind of exposed me to like working with, um, you know, inter- interfacing patients a little bit, also working with like more like health tech kind of stuff. So I worked on, uh, scaling a telemedicine, um, system that they had called, um, scope. That was really fun. Um, kind of exposed me to like, you know, the archaicness of a lot of our healthcare systems where they were just talking about, oh, we just got off paper records. And that was like two years ago. I don't know, that was three years ago. So that's kind of insane. Um, but yeah, so like the overall theme was just like a ton of exploration, right? And like by serendipity in grade 12, um, after presenting a TKS project at an event, I met my mentor who then eventually became my boss in terms of, you know, this project and everything and a lot of things going forward. So I think the theme of my high school was a lot of just exploration and um, it's, it's gotten me to where I am now. Um, and on the, to tackle for the note on like the importance of advocacy, advocating for yourself. I came into first year undergrad. There was, there was a lab that I wanted to work at Harvard Medical School. And I came into undergrad one, like, I'm going to work in that lab in three years. And it's going to be awesome. And, you know, some of that. But I actually had no like, solid plan to get there. And I was just like, oh, are you going to email them? It's like, well, you know, eventually. 
Um, but then people on TKS and my and some of my friends at UFT, they pushed me to just email it like now. Nah, like, what was I waiting for? And I was like, oh, but I don't have the skills and stuff like that. It's like, yeah, but you can figure that out. You can learn it. Uh, and you know, it's not you're moving tomorrow. You'd have time to learn those skills. So I said, okay, whatever. So I found a project I liked. So I went through the process. I found a lab, the George Church lab. And then I found a um, specific person who was working on a cool project I liked. I emailed the person, you know, sent them my, my project, my page of some of my projects, CC the professor and the admin. And um, fast forward a few months, I'm, I was like set up and ready to go to Harvard. And even though that's postponed for a year because of COVID, like my worst case scenario in this case was just like not going to Harvard, but having a Harvard job and then getting to go next year. So um, advocate for yourself, guys. It, you do not know the downside. Downside, like the worst downside is like getting a getting no reply or getting a, an angry email. But the best, and you'll be respectful, of course, but the upside is limitless, as cliche as that sounds. What, what I think is so cool about this is um, you didn't just wait around and build these skills and then just wait for the opportunities to come. You, you really do have to explore, build the skills, and then you have to structure serendipity. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like if I was in Harvard, which I'm not, um, maybe the, the chance of serendipity would be like a percent higher. But honestly, if you are not in like, if you want to work with the world class people, but you aren't in an environment where that's easily, easily done just by serendipity, you have to make that serendipity. Even if you are in an environment where that chance of serendipity is a little bit higher, I think you're still obligated to kind of make it even higher for yourself, right? Because 1% is nothing compared to 80%. So... So, so the whole idea is build the best possible worst case scenario for yourself. Yeah, exactly. Build the best possible worst case scenario for yourself. Um, There's a very uh, classy line from Trump DKS actually. So <laughs> That's where I'm pulling it from. <laughs> yeah, exactly. it's kind of interesting seeing it all come back together. Um, but yeah, you, you just like definitely like advocate for yourself, pinch yourself. Don't be timid in that regard. And you want to make content about what you do. You don't want to just keep it under rugs and just have like a readme file in your GitHub repository. Um, but there's a fine line, right? You want to actually know your shit. You actually want to have those skills. Um, but um, if you oversaw yourself, then technical people or people who you would want to work with are turned off by that. So there's a very fine line to, to, to do. Um, but honestly, the antidote to that is just patience, right? Like it's not easy to become a very technical person who's also really dope at making content. Um, I'm still working on that. That is me being a work in progress myself. Uh, I think we're also working on that. So, but like you, you want to go on that journey. You don't want to just be like the sales guy, but you don't want to just be the geek. Cool. Cool. So build a bunch of core competencies that all complement each other. Yeah. And like, you know, make sure that you're building shit you like to, right? Like it shouldn't, I think hyper intentionality can lead to people burning out a lot. Um, you want to be intentional, but you still want to follow stuff you like as, you know, also as cliche as that sounds, you still want to follow like what you like and what you're curious about. You said how, you know, your friends at TKS and your friends at UFT kind of push you to, you know, just do it, man. Right. And I've personally noticed it in myself, no shame in admitting it, and in other people that taking the first step is often the hardest. We are so good at coming up with the reasons as to why we shouldn't do it. Like, I guess um, if I'm if I'm exposing myself. Uh, yeah, um, in summer, one of my goals is to, you know, make money off of the stock market. And once I had sustainable capital, it was, it was in an account on hold and every single day I was putting it off 
by finding reasons, I'm like, okay, maybe tomorrow's going to be better. Oh, maybe I should do more research. Maybe I should look over the financial statements one more time. Like there were, it was so easy to come up with reasons why I shouldn't do it. All it took was Myrtle telling me what he's done. And then I'm like, fuck it. I'm going to do it too. And the rest is history. So Arful is now a millionaire in stocks. That is a work in progress. That is a work, that's cap, but that is a work in progress. Um, but no, it, it is very important to like surround yourself with people that will push you and not add on to, you know, the reasons why you shouldn't do it. Yeah, man. And like the crazy thing is like, it's very hard to kind of spot your own bullshit patterns. Like when I was put, when I said, oh, I'm going to apply in like 30 years to this lab. I thought I was being ambitious. Like I thought I was being bold um, because for most people, they wouldn't apply to that at all. So it's like, okay, I'm being bold by saying third year. Um, so it's also like, you want to just have people who challenge your thoughts. Um, you don't want to be surrounded by yes men. I think that's just a, like a, a lesson for life. <laughs> don't be surrounded by yes men. Uh, but especially when you're young and you're dumb and you're trying you, you want to learn more. Um, I think the minute you feel overly smart is when you should find people to disagree more with you and challenge your thoughts more. But yeah, I, I love that example, man. And uh, yeah, dude, when you're when you become the next Jordan Belfort, but ethical, hopefully, um, <laughs> when you become the next Wolf of Wall Street, I'd love to I'd love to see what you um, if you guys are still doing the podcast. You, you've mentioned um, being surrounded by people who push you and who challenge you. Uh, you also mentioned that it wasn't always that way. So, what was the thing? What was the inflection point where you decided? I have to stop surrounding myself with people who don't challenge me in an environment that doesn't interest me and seek out those opportunities and those people who are going to push me forward. Yeah. So I think there was two main things. Um, insecurity was probably a huge one. Like um, I think all my friends tell me this, like one of the biggest inflection points in my life was a really, really, really bad rejection, <laughs> um, like romantic rejection. And it stung so hard. And it was probably the biggest realization, like, like, damn, I am, I was a loser. <laughs> like, I felt like a big loser. And give me credit, I kind of was at the time. <laughs> I wasn't really doing, like, I, I, I really just, I didn't like what I was doing, which was nothing. I didn't like it. I wasn't happy with anything. Uh, I was very mad and very, like, resentful. It was overall not a really good place. So I think, uh, like, insecurity and the frustration from the lack of action I was doing to kind of do anything about my insecurity. And that was probably what sparked anything to begin with. It was, it was that, um, I think some people, you know, it's very different for depending on who you ask, but for me, it was that, um, and, and that was like my state at the time was perpetuated by the people, like, by like just people I was hanging out around. I was hanging around people who didn't really think about anything bigger than just like making a buck for the next day or next week. Right. It was nothing really bigger than that. It was like, um, you know, uh, if you do anything that you enjoy, the first question was like, oh, how much money do you make up? Right. Um, and like, that was the norm. That, 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 that is the norm. That, that wasn't norm for least in my area. Um, and like, that's just, condi- that's just how they were conditioned. Right. So not to blame them or anything. It's just kind of how it was. But yeah, I think after that rejection, I kind of realized, like, okay, I need to get my shit together. I need to find something I like and at least just explore and do stuff that makes me happy. I think in the beginning, what started out as like a distraction from like sour feelings from the, from the uh, rejection became like just like this curious pursuit of just things I found interesting. Everything from photography to joining the cadets to going to like model UN conferences, um, learning about economics, stuff like that. That all started just like wanting to break out of this like crappy state I was in. 
and it wasn't like a day where I just woke up like I'm out of that state. Like it was very gradual. Um, it was a very gradual process, kind of snapping out of that. You know, I met a lot of people along the way, of course, who kind of pushed me further. And um, yeah, and I think that was kind of at a very high level. That's kind of what happened to me. Um, and the the more I explored, the more I just kind of by chance found the people I was interested in, uh, people I liked being around. Um, and eventually, I joined TKS, right? And um, after finding TKS and kind of being around um, people my age who who some you know some of you guys came from, some of the, some people in TKS came from a similar experience like I did, it was really nice kind of just seeing ambitious young people who wanted to do something a little bit differently. Um, up until that then, like school was pretty much my only. I I view basically school and after school clubs like these clubs I was running are as like the only ways to do something kind of uniquely successful as a student. Um, and TKS kind of out like massive to credit TKS for giving me a different perspective on what success could look like, um, especially for someone who at the time was starting to get more interested in like bioengineering or biology and who wanted to go more deeper into that. You know, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay on that track for a bit um how hard was it like letting go of your old friends and making new ones like one like you you yourself realize oh okay i need to surround myself with a better group but cutting off people that you've been with for a while and moving on to a new group that's got to be hard so how hard was it for you for me especially it's hard because i am the kind of person who's very it's very hard for me to let go of people who have been nice to me right and like it wasn't just me like blocking them or like messages like yo, um, yo, walk on man, I'm not gonna talk to you no more, or peace. Like it wasn't like that. <laughs> yeah. It was more like um it was just, like a slow, gradual thing. Like they noticed changes in me, so I related to them less. So naturally, like our interests and our values, they, they started deviating a lot. So over time, I think it was just gradual. People we, we, we talked less. I I started like making more like making more hangouts with like uh, starting more hangouts with people that from, from my clubs and people from TKS. It's honestly, I don't think it was a golden bullet or like a f- recipe or like a formula to break off people from your life that you aren't, you aren't, you don't vibe with. But the overall trend is just like distance yourself if you want to be gradual about it. And, you know, the differences will show. Um, but also, like, if you feel like both parties are mature enough to have that legit conversation, then have the conversation. Like, be honest. Uh, like, be honest and talk about how you feel, saying that, like, I don't think we vibe, our values are so different now. Stuff like that. So, so the key seems to be, you know, be have compassion, but bite the bullet when you need to. Yeah, exactly. Like that's a really good way to say it. Have compassion, bite the bullet, and just be honest. Like don't don't front too much. Like um, you know what I mean. Like people just get mad at that. Um, it's it's not easy. It's not it's not a, it's not a science. But you guys got to do what works best for you. If you work well by like being upfront about your intentions, and you can't gradually do that stuff, then you got to do what you got to do. I want to jump on that a little bit and talk about what are the traits that you specifically admire in other people? I really love people who take their time to create like a, a just a positive, like a great vibe and positive experience for other people. Um, and for me, it takes a lot of energy um, as someone who's more introverted. It takes a lot of energy for me to go, I'd be outward and like, you know, follow up and people see how they're doing, uh, you know, to host a party for people. That is something, um, that is very hard for me to do, but I feel like I'm good at it. So I think people who actively try to you know, create positive vibes and positive experiences for people, um, I, I really look up to that. And if we're talking like in terms of like the 16 personalities, like I look up to ENFJs <laughs> just because like they're really good at like kind of creating a nice environment for people. Also people who like debating and um, 
I think I love a good debate. And I love um, people who are unapologetic about speaking their opinions, as long as they're able to also take on new opinions if presented with facts that make sense to them. Um, so like people who speak up their opinions, especially in, in like nowadays, um, feel like anything mildly controversial can result in you getting completely canceled or you know you being ostracized whether now or in the future i think people i look up to a lot of people who unapologetically speak their opinion whether or not i agree on it um as long as it's not completely dangerous and toxic like straight up hate and you know the opinion has some validity um i think it should be listened to and should be considered and i respect people who do that you talked a little bit about um, building content, especially if you're an innovator or if you're doing something interesting. Uh, building content around which you, what you're doing is a valuable skill and a core competency. How do you, um, what's your relationship with social media and Instagram and TikTok and talking about what you do, building content, just personal stuff? Uh, I'm curious, like, what's your snapshot on that? I have a unique perspective because, so this is one part of me I have not mentioned throughout this entire podcast, which is that I am also an artist. So I, uh, I make music, so I'm an electric guitarist. Um, and I also do like a lot of kind of like, I do, I like to do like more like, I'm starting to transition to more like cinema, cinema, cinema graphic or like cinematic, yeah, cinema, cinematic kind of photography. Um, I used to do a lot of landscape photos and now I do more like cinema, cinema, cinematic photography. Um, so I use like social media, like Instagram, uh, to promote that nowadays. I used to it used to be kind of like a general brand I used to have out there. Now, as long as I don't have like a major crazy blogger or crazy hot take, I'm sharing on my main Instagram. I mainly focus my time. If I ever, whenever I am on Instagram, it's on my art account. So uh, a nice hack. So social media can make you uh, kind of downer and, and that's not a hot take. People, a lot of times feel sad by scrolling in the yeah. your feed. Um, a nice hack is just to have aesthetics on your feed. So like not people, but like just like art or like movies you like, cool facts. Like it becomes a lot less addicting that way. Um, at least for me, um, even when it is addicting, it's not as sad. It doesn't make you a sad because it's not making you envy. You don't envy a science facts post. You don't envy like, uh, I don't know, some grainy picture from a movie. You don't usually envy that stuff. You envy a picture of a friend who is infinitely harder and successful than you but you don't really envy those like artistic posts. That, that's how I hack Instagram. Um, it's me whenever artful posts. <laughs> that's all of us in our artful posts. <laughs> I do video logs, like personal video logs, just to, like, and have like diary entries in my day. Uh, I will basically using the Snapchat memories is basically like free cloud storage for videos. You don't have to like store it in your, in your actual like uh, phone, like your phone storage. So you save a lot of data. Science happens on Twitter. Like that's where, if you want to get into any into most forms of like deep technical science, uh, even math to that degree, people are on Twitter. They're not really on LinkedIn. LinkedIn has a bad rep amongst a lot of academics, so they stay away from it. But like to give a condensed view, like if you want to be like someone who's technical and kind of hit, like technical but hit and also promotes themselves, the essentials are Twitter, LinkedIn to a degree, and um, you can either write articles on your own, like have your own website if you want to write articles with really good SEO, but Medium also works well. So like if you want to have articles in your, under your name that can be found easily, um, yeah, write a blog and Medium, write a Medium post or on your own website, it should be posted pretty well. For sure. That's actually a lot of what uh, catalyzed this interview happening. Uh, I remember thinking we got we to gotta talk to people on the podcast and then you posted um, The Builder's Age of Biology on your medium. Oh. And I was like, 
this is perfect. Like we, we got to talk to Michael about this. Um, yeah. Well, I'm glad you guys, glad you guys like the article. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, you, you talked about, uh, Twitter being the place to follow those academics you're interested in. Um, what I'm curious about right now, and I'll go through the list with you is I want your top three or top five resources for bioengineer or biotechnology, the builder's age of biology, or just personal development and growth uh, as it pertains to your journey uh, for this list of resources. I'm going to go through them one by one. So tell me your top five books. Oh, that's actually really convenient because I have a bunch of books here. Um, yeah. So I'm reading right now um, How Innovation Works by Matt Ridley, um, recommended by Nilal Ravikant, who is a uh, podcaster I look up to a lot. I'll get into that later, I guess, in the other podcast section. But I'm reading this right now. I just started, so I can't comment. It's been really interesting so far, though. Um, but yeah, in terms of books I really like, so top one, probably when pertains to innovation, is um, Zero to One. It gets recommended a lot. I actually read the book, and it's pretty damn amazing. Um, it's basically Peter Thiel's list of hot takes with cool Venn diagrams to illustrate it. It's really interesting. Um, he, that's where I learned about the, the culture and the, the issues with the dot-com bubble and stuff like that. Um, overall, really amazing take. So, zero to one. Uh, number two, probably... I think Man's Search for Meaning is a really interesting one. It's based on Man's Search for Meaning is about a psych- uh, psychiatrist uh, named Victor Frankl. He, is a Holoc- he was a Holocaust survivor. It's his account of being a like going from academia into the hall into a into like four different concentration camps and surviving it and he basically psychoanalyzed both the dynamics of uh the nazi guards and also like his fellow prisoners in the camp and he also kind of uh gave instructions on like what are ways to live for meaning so overall really interesting book in terms of like learning how people behave and act i personally really enjoy it like it was, it's a really in-depth and uh, interesting read so that's number two. Number three, Regenesis. Uh, this is a shameful plug. It's a shameless plug. Um, so my, the lab I'm going to, the George Church lab, the guy, George Church, he's like the father, he's called the father of synthetic biology. He wrote an entire book on synthetic biology and like kind of like the future that can be built with biology. So his is basically, if you took the building area of biology, made it way more depth, way more technical, way more knowledgeable, and made it to like a 400 page book. So uh, Regenesis is probably number three. Number four, um, or four, Sapiens, I guess. Sapiens is pretty awesome to read. Um, it's just an overall really nice kind of overview on like human history, um, you know, where we came from. It's kind of humbling seeing how simple we started just like in bands roving around to farming societies, to ancient civilizations, all the way up until, well, now people from completely different backgrounds talking over an online platform. So Sapiens is probably out there as number four. What is number five? I don't know, man. Like, I have a lot of... I don't know. I, I, when it comes to number five, um, I can tell you the book I'm about to read, which is um, uh, The Psychology of Persuasion. Um, it's an interesting book, kind of like selling and um, like behavioral tendencies into influence decision-making. Um, I think it's analogous to kind of like uh, the book How to Make Friends and Influence People by, Carne- by um, Dale Carnegie, I think his name is. Um, so this book was recommended by Warren Buffett in one of his early, uh, in the valedictorian speech, not valedictorian, like in like some sort of speech he gave at Harvard Law in the 90s, he recommended this book and he gave everybody in the crowd a free copy of that book. I listened to the speech and I was like, okay, I gotta read this book. So those are my five. Arful, what top five lists do we wanna hear next? 
Mm. Podcasts. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what podcasts. Yeah. So um, I'll start by the, the one I listen to the most. So I listen to um, this podcast called Philosophize This. It's a TKS favorite. Um, so anyone TKS definitely knows Philosophize This. But it's basically a series of 20 to 30 minute episodes on different philosophers and their beliefs and what they, and you know, their place in history, what their, what their beliefs actually means in, in the context of our lives. And the guy, the host, Stephen West, he does a really, really nice job of kind of making, not so much like it's a lecture, but more like a conversation. So he explains philosophy like a friend would to you. If it was really, really, um, if you, that friend was really, really knowledgeable and at times funny too. So I, I personally like um, philosophize this. To stay on top of news in terms of innovation and tech, um, the A16Z podcast, so Andreessen Horowitz, the VC firm, they have a podcast series. Um, they post pretty frequently despite being a, a VC firm. They have a really active podcast section. So if you want to stay up to date on latest tech trends, latest big investment news, A16Z uh, podcast, definitely recommend it. Uh, for biotech specifically, the bio report. So there is a, I think they're on SoundCloud, they're also on, they also have their own website. The bio report is a podcast series on, they basically interview biotech founders both uh, people in the, in the drug making space and also in like biotech AI companies and diagnostic companies. And they get a sense of like, you, you kind of get a sense of like what they're working on. Um, it's basically how I build this, but like really short, like 20 minutes um, with biotech founders. Overall, really sick. Um, third, was that fourth? Is that fourth? Yeah, fourth. Um, Naval, the Naval podcast. So this is a YouTube series. Um, it's a Naval Ravikan, this venture capitalist from Silicon Valley. He basically uploaded his principles to living a happy life and also uh, achieving wealth. So two of the really big kind of topics in life nowadays. Um, and he has like a really nice long set of audio clips on some of his big lessons from his life and um, his thoughts on it. So that's probably number four. Um, number five. Number five. I think if you want to have like a chill, there's like a chill podcast too that you guys ever listen to, like chill podcasts, like you know people just having a conversation, digging around. Um, but also, you know, sometimes talking about religious stuff as well. Uh, I like uh, the Genius Brain podcast. That's David So. So David So is a YouTuber um, from California. Personally, one of my like idols. So I look up to him a lot. Um, but he has like his friends. He has people from other other creatives. He, he's a creative. He has a lot of other creatives on the on the show. Sometimes he brings in guests from other professions, like police, like law. They talk about social issues a lot of times. Um, but sometimes they're just sticking around talking about like. Um, TV shows and stuff, but overall, it's, it's kind of a good vibe. It's interesting you mention idols, which leads us to the next top five list. Top five like leaders, idols, influencers that you follow. Yeah, like thought leaders on Twitter, LinkedIn, or, or just role models too. Who's your Yoda? Definitely George Church. I mean, because he's a father of bioengineering, so I love the guy. Um, Malcolm X. I love his unapologetic. Uh, his unapologetic words and thoughts. Um, even though he did have, he like, of course, his, some of his answers were sort of controversial, but I love his unapologetic nature in terms of his political beliefs and his ability to um, just rally behind a cause that was so dangerous, but at the time so right in his, in his, in his belief. So, yeah. Um, third, who else? Richard Feynman. Richard Feynman is this, uh, he's a physicist from the 50s and 60s in the U.S., Really, really um, charismatic kind of guy. He explained some of the most complicated ass physics in simplistic, understandable lectures that were also witty at the same time. So he was a complete, he was another genius, in my opinion. He also won a Nobel Prize for physics. So 
it shows that like, he was definitely really kind of amazing uh, person in the first time. Um, fourth, probably Naval Ravikant. I really enjoy his podcast and his insights. He is very much, um, he very much gave me a lot of foundations, um, a lot of the principles. He kind of taught me, his podcast and content taught me a lot of the principles behind like um, how economics works, how our society works in terms of incentives and uh, money, and how leverage works, which are hugely important lessons, which is why I always recommend his podcast. Um, and then fifth, man, fifth. I had, I had, I had like a lot of people tied for fifth. Um, I'd have to give it to either Childish Gambino or David So. Uh, so like Donald Glover or David So. So these are really, both these guys, uh, of course, one's way more famous than the other, but like uh, David So, he's a comedian slash businessman slash YouTuber slash um, kickboxer slash chef. Um, he's definitely been like a huge inspiration since I was like 13. Like just like, in, he's, he's like an Asian dude growing up in like America. Who also came from like kind of a rough area, so like I had I felt like a lot of parallels to him, and I really related to a lot of the stuff he talked about. Um, or Charles Gambino, I really respect his art form. He he finds a way to blend in the social issues he cares about a lot with just like unique art styles that he vibes with. Um, so it's probably time between those guys. Nice, I respect the Childish Gambino. He he's like my Yoda too. Yo. That's that, 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 that's a motor, man. Yeah. Just uh, being able to sing those super high pitches while also being able to do comedy. Yeah. That's crazy. I, I watched him in Community on Netflix. He's Oh my he's God. The best. That was such a good clip. That was such a good clip, yeah. man. Here's what I wanted to ask you. So you chose to go to UFT and you chose a certain program. However, you are someone that I would categorize as a work in progress towards being a genius. So you had multiple offers. What made you choose your university and your specific program? This is actually, okay, you know what? I'm going to um, both expose myself, but also like um, say why I chose U of T. So that's what, that's what we like on this podcast. Come on. Yeah, so like my first, I actually did get into my first choice um, mm-hmm. because my grade 12 marks weren't, like my grade 12 marks were okay except for one course. Now one course will have to be a prereq for the courses I want to get in this particular university. I didn't get it. Um, in hindsight, that's probably the best thing to happen to me because at the time, my image of like I didn't really have a solid idea of what I wanted to do. I thought I wanted to go more into like uh, more like enge- pure engineering rather than go into biology. Um, but I realized I want to work in bioengineering, which is taking engineering principles and applying it to biology. And what I've lo- what I've learned a big lesson I've learned over this year is that to solve biological problems, you need to understand the biology behind the problem. So that's kind of a huge, huge thing. Um, and biology isn't easy to learn, right? It's not just like a one course thing. Oh, now I know biology. It's a process. It's like, you know, you, you learn about the research, you learn about the fundamentals and you apply it, right? So I'm actually very happy I chose the program I did. Um, so the UFT is a really nice, and the nice thing about UFT is that it has a really, really large research network. There's a ton of different hospitals here. Like Toronto literally has like 10 hospitals, like just full of research labs doing, you know, um, learning about, you know, new things about biology, uh, about biomedical science, et cetera. So UFT is kind of like a really awesome spot to um, learn about the research, meet the people doing the research, be inspired, but also have easy access to work with these people. Um, so that's a really, really, that was kind of like a blessing in disguise. Also because UFT is, is like renowned for its biological research. Um, that also added a lot to my decision. Like, you know, insulin was made here, stem cell research started here. Um, so there's like a lot of, there's a lot of really interesting things happening here. Um, 
not so much like I don't I don't know too much about like the product development and the engineering side, but at least in the biological research side, it's pretty active. So um, yeah, that's that was kind of my decision making process. Like U of T is like great, it's a good school. I love being in Toronto. Um, whether living at home or living outside at home, it's just a city of lots of experience. Um, and also U of T has a lot of good travel experiences too. So even though doesn't necessarily have like a co-op system, it, uh, like an easy co-op system, I should say. Um, it has a lot of like partnerships with universities around the world, so I can still travel, which was like a big thing on my list. Cool, cool. For for the people listening, if they're in grade 12 or 11 and they're trying to figure out what they want to do or where they want to go, what, to, in your opinion, what are the things people should think about when they're deciding where they want to go for post-secondary? I had this talk with Naveed or Nadim, I don't remember. And this was when I was in grade 12 and I was kind of like really anxious about what university to choose and like what university I should get into. And I was really, you know, I was having the grade 12 scare. Um, Nadim, I think it was Nadim. He said something really interesting, which was that most people think about university through like, okay, I'm in high school now. I want to go to university. University is going to get me a degree and degree is going to get me job X. I want job X. I'll do that. Um, what Naveed said, what, was, what Nadim said was very interesting. He reversed it. He's like, okay, where do you want to be in 10 years in terms of like, just like the people you're around or what you're working in? He's like, oh, no. He's like, what kind of like general field do you want to be working in or like general thing you want to be working on? Um, I was privileged in the sense that I actually knew what general thing I want to be working on, which is building the future of biology. So I said, okay, building the future of biology. What kind of people will I need to be around to make that happen? You know, what kind of people will I need to be around to have a company, to work in a company, or to be doing some sort of next level research to be, you know, achieving that goal? Okay, now I have the people. And so the people usually ends up being a really strong bio community. So, okay, so from there, it was a little easier. Now I have the people. Okay, from there, it's like, to meet these people, where do you want to be? And like, yeah, UFC was so, UFC out of my options was the best in terms of just like meeting the people I want to be around. That's cool. So it's, it's sort of identify what the goal is and then work your way backwards from there. Identify the goal, identify the people you need to be around to achieve the goal. Find where those people are. Go there. Cool, cool. That's an interesting like mental model, and I want to uh, we want to ask you a bit more about those. And like, quite basically, give us the give us the list of what are the mental models that you've used in your journey that you found to be useful or that have helped you. The biggest by far is uh, the will I regret model. So it's like. When I'm deciding to do something or not to do something, I just think in five years from now, will I regret doing or not doing this thing? Like, will there be some sort of clear thing that I'll regret missing out on, like FOMO or um, or thing I regret doing? Um, a tendency, something you'll see in life is that you'll usually regret not doing instead of doing, unless you're like doing something that can lead to ruin, like like physical injury, something illegal, stuff like that. If you're not doing like something that'll lead to ruin. A lot of times, the doing will actually make you regret something less. There's a lower chance of regret from doing than not doing. Um, that's just a, a small tangent, but yeah. So the regret, the regret, the if regret is true, don't do. Uh, <laughs> if regret is true, if you don't do it, then do. Gotcha. Uh, could you could you give us an example of a time in your life? Yeah, yeah. So like, um, in grade in like uh, this is more personal, but like in grade eleven, grade twelve. Um, I realized my grandma was getting really, really old and she was like 93 at the time. And I was like, okay, 
I want to spend and you like a bizarre amount of time with my grandma, you know, just like telling jokes and like, you know, making her laugh and like just, just having dope experiences with her. Um, because I have a feeling like uh, she's getting old, right? And I don't know how long I'm going to be around just to, you know, to be around with her, like university's busy, you know, and then you're working, etc. So I was like, okay, I'm going to regret not spending enough time with my grandmother um, when she dies, inevitably, right? It's like, okay, I should spend a lot of time with my grandma. I should spend more time with my grandma and, you know, make the, make the things worthwhile. So like when I'm around her, no phones, you know, or if, I, if, I, if the phone's around, it's showing her how to use a phone, you know, just for fun and stuff. Uh, and like, you know, I had a, like, I had a dope time, you know, laughing with my grandma, having like really nice experiences. And it turned out in midway to grade 12, she passed away because of, uh, of like, uh, pneumonia. So like, and at, it was at that time, it was like literally on her deathbed that I realized, okay, damn, that was so true. Like if I didn't do what I did this year or over the last couple of years, I would be here like regretting a lot of the choices I made or like the choices that I didn't make or time I didn't spend. Um, but now I'm here, I'm kind of, it's more like appreciation for her life rather than like sadness and regret. That's like a really extreme example. But I think it's probably the easiest example to imagine. I think we all have an example of someone who's we've lost in our life that um, that we wish we spent more time with, right? So it's like you can extrapolate that a lot to like you know your relationships or your friends and your family and significant others that if applicable. It's like will I regret treating treating my significant other like neglecting my significant other? Probably, right? So like um, something like that, right? Or it's like will I regret staying in this job that I freaking hate to not pursue my you know, my passions for like modern art or whatever, probably. Right. So some of that, but it also comes to like, there's also like regret for decisions. So like, will I regret stealing this chocolate bar and risk going to jail for two years? Probably. <laughs> will I regret doing that? Yeah, probably. So like it goes both ways, but gotcha. that's probably the biggest one I use uh, by far. That's, that's um, really powerful. Cause I mean, no one's ever going to say I regret spending too much time with my loved one. I was going to say, I regret loving this person too much. Exactly, man. And surprisingly enough, it actually scales into like tech and startups too. So like, rarely you'll hear a startup saying, I regret I talked to a users too much. I regret I understood the problem too well. Like that never happens. Um, so like they're, they're, you, you, can, you can kind of pull it that way too. Um, that's, a, that's a really big one. Um, the second one is like, this is a, something I've been cultivating recently. I just slapped the name on it. Like I think Navi slapped the name on it. Like the, the whole, one of the co-founders of TKS, he slapped the name on it, which is like unfair advantage, right? Which is like when I am approaching a new task that I am bad at or have no experience at, it's like, what is my unfair advantage from doing this thing to make me um, just, you know, to make me somewhat of value. Um, so like going back to the, the, the lab leadership example, it's like, okay, what's my unfair advantage going into a lab? Well, it's time, number one, so time and energy, but number two is also coding and like just having unique skills to contribute to the team that naturally would not be there amongst most of the students. So that's a big one. Asking myself when I'm going into a situation, like what is my unique advantage? Like what is my unfair advantage? What is something that would be hard for other people to cultivate, uh, given the situation, but I can do right now. Um, the third is leverage. Like, how do I take on a position of accountability and to gain, get more leverage in my environment, right? So you can apply it to um, making money. So like if you're working in a small team in a store, if I was in that position, I'd be asking, okay, how do I prove to the management that I can take on a lot more responsibility, you know, handle more responsibility and get paid more for my time as a result of doing that? Um, that is a really powerful uh, thought like mental model such thought pattern that Naval preaches a lot. Whereas like you, um, you stick your neck out 
you go for you go for positions of higher accountability, but in result, you get more reward uh, from your efforts. And this isn't always the case. Of course, there's failure, and that's actually most of the case. There's failure, but in the cases of success, it'll be worth it because when you fail and you take out a position of accountability, as long as you weren't unethical, you didn't do some shady shit, it's generally okay. Like in my opinion, I don't think Theranos would have been Theranos if Elizabeth Holmes wasn't straight up swindling investors, right? Like if Theranos was just like an honest project that had the science that worked, but you know, for some reason it just failed, we wouldn't be talking about Theranos today. We wouldn't be talking about bad, there wouldn't be no bad blood today, right? So like put in your effort, take accountability, take leverage, and just kind of ask yourself, okay, where can I do this? That is a really big uh, model I take on. And I don't think I hear a lot of, a lot of people talking about it our age, but I think it's something really valuable, right? So Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. All right. Um, so tell us one small thing that you did that um, like had an outsized positive impact on it could be your life, somebody else's life, just society generally, anything. Like something small. I was, yeah. I think it was cultivating my, my listening skills. So naturally, I can listen to people very well. But I think when I was younger, it was when I was younger, like I really like speaking my piece is like, yeah, I got you. But, but, but this point, did you consider this? And it's like, um, it was probably coming from a position of both insecurity and like arrogance. Um, I'm actively trying to get better at that and try to become a better listener. I think the times where people have said, thank you, you know, you've helped me get through this part of my life, et cetera, et cetera. It was calm when I, I listened very carefully and I gave advice only when they asked for advice. Um, I think yeah, I think building that those listening skills it's not doesn't seem that it doesn't seem that huge, right? It's not like you want to know a prize or something, but just you would be surprised how far listening to people, especially when they're in an emotionally tough place, or even when you're trying to solve a problem, even like listening and understanding what you're being faced with before making a decision, and like you know being thoughtful about it. I think building that thoughtfulness has been so uh, so important just for my growth, but also people around me it also what led to like my opinion articles right like the builder era of biology advice for undergraduates some of the articles i'm most proud of came from just like a long time of just listening to people in the field complaining or listening to like my colleagues like my people in my grade or my my year complaining about xyz or sad about xyz and then you know kind of formulating these points in my head over a while um but yeah i think listening is probably that big one so clearly this is something you've been trying to incorporate more into your daily life and one of the habits you're trying to build. Uh, something I'm always really curious about are people's best habits and their worst habits. So I'm curious, I, I want to ask you, what are, what are some good habits that you have that you're proud of? And what are some habits that are bad that you want to break? My morning routine is fire. Okay. Like I am proud of my morning routine. I am always seeing my morning routine. My sleep consistency is dark shit. Okay. <laughs> and that is kind of, that is the, the petrol vice I am dealing with right now. So like in the morning I will wake up, I'll make my bed. Um, I will stretch, um, like balance on one foot, like, you know, stretch and all that stuff. And then I'll write, write my journal, uh, meditate, set goals for the day. I'm very proud of that stuff because it's got me, it's gotten me out of ruts. It's kept me pretty consistent on my focus. You know, there's been off times, of course, but overall, I think it's been really productive and it's kind of been core to becoming who I am right now. 
Um, but yeah, man, no, sleep, sleep is probably, okay, there's two. Sleep is probably a really big one, um, where it's like, I, I get very creative at night when it comes to like art ideas and like um, music ideas. I, for some reason, I get those ideas at night and I will sleep very late, at least for me, uh, compared to what I, where I want to sleep and, uh, you know, screw up my sleep control. But a more important one that's more valuable to people is uh, goal setting. So when it comes to goal setting, I have a very bad habit of overshooting my goals for the week, for a day, et cetera. And what will happen in the end is that I'll have a bunch of unchecked boxes that um, I'll smack myself in the head over. I was like, oh, damn it. I knew I couldn't achieve that all today. It's unrealistic. It's not even because I was lazy. It's because I was unrealistic. Um, and I just overshot my goals. I was too a bit, I was like overly ambitious for the day. And it kind of, it's kind of demoralizing, at least for me when that happens. So, um, but then I keep doing the same thing over and over again. So that is something I really want to break, uh, because it's not productive. But the problem is when I set two little goals, uh, then it gets easy to kind of justify being lazy for the rest of the day. So I need to find a, I'm still trying to find a good balance between that. And that is a, an area I'm trying to be more work in progress. About. Cool. Cool. That's, that's good. Cause one of the other questions I had for you was how do you think about setting goals? So it's awesome. You yeah, that's what I thought, man. Like, honestly, you want to gauge, um, it, it's different for every person. I should say some people work by time blocking every day by things they want to do. I don't do that. I do not work like that. Um, I have deliverables for the day that I set for myself. Um, of course I have a calendar for meetings and stuff, but it's different. Um, it really depends on how you work. Like if you work by, if you, if you are, if you have discipline in the sense that you could set yourself a very minimal set of goals, hit them and then iteratively set that, iter, iteratively put new goals in your to-do list every day, like throughout the day and hit them. Uh, while still, you know, being mentally and physically healthy, then go for that. Um, that is something I probably want, I'm going to try. Um, some people like setting all their goals at the beginning of the day as in going forward like that. Um, I, that's what I do right now. Um, the problem is I keep overshooting. So there is no exact science, but what I do recommend the general, the general thing that I recommend set goals for your day, set goals for your week, and then have us have some sort of tracker or some sort of place where you note down thoughts from the week, your progress and your growth throughout the week. And then you can kind of track week by week of your life. Even. It sounds weird, but like if you track week by week of like your growth and kind of like how you're developing, you will see like the progress that you're actually making. Right. And it's not about the individual. Like if you're thinking about like your growth as like a graph, the individual ups and downs don't really matter. Right. It's the overall trajectory. Right. Like our flow, we need trading. You don't, you don't do like day trading of your life. Right? Yeah. You, 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 for your life, it's like a long-term investment. You care about the general trajectory of the stock or like yeah. of the, of the, of the line. And yeah. that's kind of how life, how personal growth works, as I understand it right now. Damn, beautiful analogy. A lot of people have sort of life hacks or cheat codes that sort of disproportionately serve them and give them an advantage in life, sort of like that unfair advantage you talked about. I'm curious what your cheat codes for life are, whether it's a, it's a productivity tool, whether it's um, a mantra, or whether it's some, just, just what is your silver bullet? What is your cheat code to win in life that you found really useful? Um, it's, I have a term that I, that I've, that I came, I, I, I like think I came up with, um, it's judgment or decline. You want to be intentional. You, you want to be aware of the decisions you're making and what you're doing and kind of see how it fits into the big picture of what you want to achieve. Right. Um, 
And I think that's been a really, really big important part of my life. Um, second to that, be just being curious about how the world works. Um, I don't know how in control you are of that, but at least if you can be curious, if you find your curiosity in some, if you find a curiosity of yours in some degree of how the world works, whether that's economics, whether that's game theory, psychology, um, science, some, like, you know, just have some sort of interest and appreciation for how the world works because you will learn how the world works. When you learn how the world works, you start learning how to build your own cheat codes and your own hacks around it and how you can achieve your definition of success easier. Um, yeah, I think that's probably a big one. And oh yeah, and also, uh, I don't actually read motivational, I don't actually watch motivational speeches that much or read motivational books that much. Um, I really believe that curiosity is probably the biggest drive. Curiosity or just desperation and need. Outside of desperation and need, I think curiosity and probably envy are probably the biggest drivers for things to do <laughs> like progress. Um, you don't want to be on the envy side. That's how, um, that's how you can do that astray. You want to find something, you want to find what you're curious about or what you're just, you just vibe with. I think vibing with something is another form of curiosity. Cool. So curiosity over envy as motivator. Curiosity over envy. Envy will, will play, will play a lot, but try to avoid it. You know, try to be mindful of it at least. That's cool. That's really interesting. Um, we, we talked earlier about, productivity and staying motivated during the current crisis. What were your secrets for that lockdown sprint that you talked about earlier? There was a small physical thing that actually helped a lot, which was, um, so I don't know if you guys are familiar with the YouTube channel, CGP gray. No. So anyways, this is this YouTuber guy. He, he explores very random topics. Uh, everything from like how the electoral college works to like, exploring an abandoned missile engine testing base, everything in between. He's just like one of these cool wacky YouTubers. Um, but he had, he has like really uh, high quality videos and they're pretty entertaining, almost like a Vsauce kind of, but more, more widespread. Anyways, one of his videos was literally on how to stay motivated during quarantine, but he didn't call it how to stay motivated during quarantine. I think he called it like uh, something about a spaceship. He analogized being in your house to kind of being in a spaceship where everyone's been launched up in space. And now they have to figure out how to live their life without decay, physically and, and psychologically. First point he makes is that emotional and like your emotional and your physical health is key, but you need to keep both up to keep yourself going. You can't neglect one, and you you, you, you can't have one without the other, right? So work out um, and try and then do what you got to do to keep yourself uh, mentally healthy. Um, whether that's hop on Zoom calls if you're more like extroverted and you want to be with people, whether that's meditating if you feel like your mind's clouded a lot, journaling, whatever. Um, and in the video, he mentioned this, which was that you can split up your room or your living space into a few different parts. Your bed is your bed. You do not go on your phone in your bed. You do not code in your bed. You just sleep on your bed. If you feel like you can't sleep, leave your bed, go to something else. But teach, just leave your bed for your bed. Then allocate another area just to work or create stuff. And that is your creative space, whether you're creative, et cetera. If you're like me and you like to work in different places, like switch your workspace sometimes, just have two creative spaces, have three, but keep those exclusively for creative. So if you're building something, you know, you're building a track or you're doing research in your creative space, don't pull out IG and start going through the feed. You know what I mean? And then have a play space, have a, have a space where you go through IG, have a place where you play music, have a space where you play games. And just have them in physically different places. This kind of allocation of space is has been really, really nice and like a big hack for me. And also like have a workout space. So in five years' time, 
what kind of work do you see yourself doing and what kind of progress do you see yourself having? I love that. Yeah. So I'll, I'll answer first in the personal end. Um, I hope that by in, in five years time that I, I would have a lot more experience on how different cultures are like and how the, how the world works on a human emotional level in terms of like different cultures, different sets of values. I want to be exposed to more of like what the world looks like, like physically. Um, and you know, how different people work and like how different people think and how different cultures, you know, treat different things and value different things. I just basically want to see more of the world as cliche as that sounds. Uh, I want to see more of the world. I want to travel. I want to have experience a lot more than I have right now. I think a lot of us can relate to that. Um, I want to be more mindful of, um, kind of both my thoughts, my, my surroundings. I think mindfulness is probably one of the biggest areas I, I want to personally work on. Um, I'm doing that through meditation. So I think extended meditation is something I want to be continuously doing uh, in four or five years. Um, I want to be more, even more outwardly caring to the people around me. Um, I think probably, like it's, it's definitely like something I like. I, I don't know if I, how do I put this? I can care for people if I really vibe with them, but I want to be just outwardly caring more by default. I just want to be, so overall, I'm more warm and nicer guy. Um, that's probably a big one for me. Um, and also, but on the flip side of that, I still want to be more unapologetically me. So that'll probably come from me developing myself as an artist, right? Playing, you know, making more of my tracks, kind of finding my vibe and actually producing it. I think those on the personal end kind of be kind of are like where I want to be. In terms of working, I, I see two, two, two sides of it. Um, so in five years, I want to be working at a growth stage by the company, uh, helping scale, helping build the products up, helping kind of help, helping help, helping them help engineer or just revolutionize the field of biotech. Um, whether that's a therapeutic company or like a regular biotech company, I don't really mind. But I just want to be working on a really, really sick project and kind of helping to scale such that I can learn how like a, a biotech company works from the inside out. And then I can go on to find my own company later on, the day, later on down the road. Um, yeah. And I also want to be, you know, making my art, uh, hopefully have like a few albums out by then. Definitely have a few albums out by then. Uh, probably in the like indie rock slash um, R&B kind of like vibe. And I want to have made a music video, at least a few music videos by then. All right, cool. That That's all I have. Thank you for your time, Michael. You've been very generous. I think a lot of people are going to benefit from this. So thank you for your time. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you guys. I love the conversation. I'm glad to hear and I hope, um, yeah, hope uh, they have like, this is a valuable conversation for everybody. Well, that about wraps up this episode. Thank you to all you amazing people for tuning in. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for more content. We post video clips on YouTube and TikTok. And for full audio transcripts, make sure to read our articles on Medium. All of our socials and Michael's socials are down in the description. Go check him out for more content. And until next time, thanks for listening. This has been your host, Arful and Murto on the Work in Progress podcast. We'll see you again with another Work in Progress very soon.